Lord together with us here today. Um, God is doing great things and we're excited for everything that he is doing. I look over to my right here and I see the full family has arrived back, I'm going to say home to Minnesota, even though they would consider Alabama home now. Um, but wow, how cool it is to have you guys here with us today. Amen. For those of you who may be new and don't know the full family, you've probably heard their name thrown around here and there. They have been a big part of Church of Hope over the years and have been great friends of my family and so many of yours here as well. So it's awesome to have them here. They are not just here just to visit for the fun of it, but uh, there's apparently a big wedding that's about to take place here next week. And uh, there they are up there. Hey, how about the young couple stands up, huh? Kate Baldwin and Olivia Full. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hey, why don't you guys come up here? We're going to pray for you. <laughs> All right. It's been exciting seeing the Lord just from a few years back start putting this couple together and for his plans and purposes for their lives go so far beyond what any one of us can even comprehend. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? First time I've seen her since she's been back. <laughs> Kate, you. you get a hug too. I love these guys and uh, it's been a joy being with you guys through this entire process. And uh, are we excited for next week or what? Absolutely. It's a week from today, you realize that? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for what you're doing in Kate and Olivia. We just ask your hand of blessing to be upon them here in this final week leading up to the, to the wedding. Lord, this is a couple that's set apart for you and your purposes, that your name is going to continue to be honored and glorified through their life. They're not walking into marriage half-heartedly. They understand this is a reflection of Christ and his church, and they're going to be representing that for the rest of their lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Be with them. Amen. 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 We love you guys. Give them a hand once again. <laughs> Praise God. We had the awesome opportunity to uh, head to ERX the last couple of days, and uh, that is the national off-road races happening right here in Elk River, Minnesota. It gives us a great opportunity to raise funds for missions. They have us out there every year, so we have the opportunity to help with parking. Dave, you're out there in parking. I saw that. You're handling that out there. It was good. And many, many more. I don't have time to list everybody who was out there, but we had many people that were out there. And I just want to say from my heart to you guys, thank you so much for being there. You guys did a tremendous job. I always get the feedback. We want your, you guys back again next year. Okay? They love how, I mean, you guys, we have people in admissions, and those are the first people that people encounter when they're going into the park and so on. So there has been a great testimony that has come through that. They have allowed us to set up our own booth right at the bottom of the hill, right as you start going up to go to the races itself. And uh, we set up our bounce house out there every year. And that's a popular thing. Kids love coming and playing. And it gives us a great opportunity to either talk to the children or their parents or just people walking by about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I can honestly say that over the last two days, we have had some incredible conversations with people, opportunities to pray for people, people just the Holy Spirit working in people's hearts and lives. They're just bawling uh, during that time of prayer. And so um, we want to continue to be in our community, being the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's what we're here for, light penetrating darkness. And so that's a great place to go. You get all kinds out there. Let me tell you, you get all kinds out there. Uh, but that's an exciting thing and a fun thing to be a part of. We are continuing our series through God's design. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're titling our message today, a really long one, Men. We're going to talk to men today. Women, you can pay attention. We're going to be talking to you in two weeks. It's going to be a good time. But um, again, we're getting back to this reality is what does God's word say? There's so much commotion, so many lies that are being spread throughout our, in our culture today. And we've got to be a people that go back to the word of God and say, what does the word of God say? I couldn't care less what anybody else thinks. I want to know what God's word says. What has, what has he designed? And so I believe one of the reasons why we're seeing the things that were, are happening in our culture today 
and such a push for these things is that we've, we've forgotten the Word of God. We, we've forgotten the Word of God not just in relation to transgenderism and homosexuality, but we've forgotten the Word of God in relation to roles for men and women in general. And there's been a reversal of these roles, and God wants His people to get back to His Word. Amen? God wants His people to get back to His Word. And, um, and even in children and parenting and all of these things, there's been a role reversal there where everything has become about the kids and what do the kids want to do? And what, what, we're listening to our kids in areas we shouldn't be listening to our kids in. Did you know that? We're letting them de decide and dictate what we're doing in our lives. Oh, that's in a few weeks, so just hold on. We're going to get there. And it starts, oh my friends, it starts at very young ages. Starts with nap times, but we're going to get there in a few weeks, all right? We're going to get there in a few weeks. Number one in your handout, the leader. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible here today, we would love to get you a Bible. You, all you need to do is raise your hand and we're going to have a track expert, Grant Royseth. He's going to run and get you a Bible if you need one here today. If you don't have a Bible at all, that is our gift to you here today. You can take that Bible home, put your name in and read it because Bibles that sit on the shelves. Don't do anybody any good. Very good. So last week we looked at God's design for genders. And we looked at it and it's very simple. It's male and female. It's male and female. Now we're going to take a look at God's designs for those specifically fo focusing on men here today. So Genesis chapter 2 in your Bibles, number one in your handout, the leader. The leader. And I can just tell you as we go through this series, we're going to be saying a lot of things that are not necessarily politically correct, but they're biblically correct. All right? Amen. Amen. It is. Verse 7, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Do you see, don't you just love the creativity of God? Everything else... He just simply spoke things into existence and they came to be. And obviously God could have totally done that when he was creating humans. And yet he wanted to show there is special attention being paid to this. There is uniqueness in this. This is my prized creation right here that I am forming. And so he stoops down. I had a great opportunity to share this with somebody yesterday who had never heard this. About how God created man and woman. Stoops down into the ground, having the power to simply say, let there be man, and there was man, male. And simply, let there be woman, and there was woman, female. Had the power to do that, and yet doesn't. We see this absolute creativity that he would, I like to imagine it, get down into the ground. And form man out of the dust of the ground. Work on every part of his his, his, his being. And then breathe into him the breath of life. Think about that. How powerful is that breath? We mean it when we say it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. That's truth that we are singing when we're singing that. Because it is actual the breath of God that he breathed into man. And man became a living being, having a living soul that would never, ever, ever cease to exist. Think about the power of that. There's nothing else that was created like that, like humans were created. Living souls that cannot cease to exist. Think about that, the impossibility of ceasing to exist. We know this is true because when you get into Revelation, even those who did not have a relationship with Christ, but when He comes, are crying out, let the rocks fall on us. In other words, let us cease to even exist. That would be better than facing the wrath of God for all of eternity. You cannot cease to exist. It's impossible. Because when God created man, he breathed into him the breath, his breath, this eternal breath that had no beginning and has no end, he breathed into us. Verse 15. Then, God, then the Lord God took the man, Adam, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. 
We see him once again. We mentioned this last week. He's given man responsibility here. He wanted there to be this dominion, this ownership over these things. I shouldn't say ownership, but responsibility. That he is going to hold them accountable for everything it is that he has created. He desired to do this as he works through man. We all know God could simply cause things to just happen. We know he's sovereign. We know he's in control of all things. He doesn't, we say this all the time here at Church of Hope, he doesn't need us. He, help me out, he wants us. Right? He desires to work and to accomplish his eternal plans and purposes through mere human beings like you and I. And so he puts man into the garden and he tells him to tend it and to keep it. Rule over it. This is man's responsibility. Verses 16 and 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. He gives him a command right off the get-go. And I tell people all the time, I don't believe there's anything poisonous about the fruit that was on the tree. Right? It was simply that God gave a command, don't eat of it. It is a knowledge of good and evil. And as soon as you rebel against the command of the God of the universe, the one who has rights over absolutely everything that he has created, you'll die. This is the wages. Didn't the scripture tell us that? This is the wages of sin. This is your payment. This is what you've earned. Every single person who has sinned, and that's everybody, right? There's nobody excluded from that besides Jesus Christ himself while he walked this earth. Every single person has earned these kinds of wages. Death. It was a physical death, no doubt. We experience, I do funerals often, right? We experience death, every single one of them. There's nobody who hasn't experienced death somewhat close to you in your lifetime that's a reality that took place because of the fall but more importantly and more specifically a spiritual death took place a separation from God not having true life the kind of life that Jesus was talking to the woman at the well about that said if you knew the water that I had to give, Julie, this is where we're going, right? Next week, Fort Wayne. If you knew the water that I had to give, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water so that you never, ever thirst again. Living water, true life, that we become awakened to. When God does this work in our hearts, Ephesians 2 talks about this. You were dead in your trespasses, and this is a death. That, Jesus, that God is talking about all the way at the very beginning here in Genesis. This is a death that has taken place. But you were dead. You he has made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's what every single person needs. The greatest need on the earth is that people be, be made alive. This is why we use terms that aren't often used in everywhere. But there are terms that we should continue using because scripture uses them. When we tell people they need to be born again, they say, oh, that's a term that, you know, that might rattle people a little bit. People might be a little uncomfortable with that. They might not know what you're talking about. Trust me, people in Jesus' day didn't know what he was talking about. They had a religious leader right in front of them, and he says, huh? Do I need to get back into my mother's womb and be born again? What are you talking about? Right? So don't think that simply because these terms might be a little awkward in our day and age, they were awkward in Jesus' day. And yet he still said, are you kidding me? You're a, you're, a, you're a leader of the Jews and you don't know about new birth? I'm telling you here today, if you haven't experienced new, new birth, you're not saved. You don't belong to Christ. There's no living life in you. You can, you can, try, to, you can try as hard as you want to cross the T's and dot the I's and it's just dead religion. Unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. We've got to keep moving here. <clears throat> he gives a command. 
It says, you have the freedom here to eat of all of these trees here in the garden, but don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day that you eat of it, you will die. So God created men to work, provide, and be responsible. And even accountable. We'll look at that accountability here in a second. Look at this even in relation. One of the ways that we can know that this is still the case here today. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. This is in the New Testament. This is Paul's letter that he wrote to Timothy. He is highlighting here some leadership that God intends for, his, for men to be walking in. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, he says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not braided with hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Some of you guys are saying, I thought we were going to cover this in a couple of weeks. We are. So we're just, we're just reading it to get it in context here. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence in relation to that area of teaching for Adam was formed first now how do we know that this is not just something that was cultural how do we know that this was that this still is God's call upon us today let's say anything that any time that you see something that was happening within the Old Testament and it's continuing on and being touched on in the New Testament and being drawn all the way back to the created order of God is one of the ways that we can know this is still for today this is still for today And here, that's what he does here. He lists it back. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Even in the order of their creation, doesn't make man greater than woman or to say they're not equal in who, how God has created. He has created them equal. They're just as valuable. They're just as important. But in his design and in his order, this is, this is who he wants to lead. This is who he wants leading. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. We're going to look what Adam, how Adam, what part Adam played with that. <clears throat> he highlights this, and he's intentional in doing it, highlighting the reality of leadership. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's turn there. Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 22 through 23. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands. There's a context of marriage. As to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. When does this go out of date? <laughs> when do we stop doing this? As soon as Christ is no longer the head of the church. You can throw this one out the window. But as long as Christ is the head of his church, the men are called to lead their wives and their families and even within their church. Do you believe that today? I believe that with all my heart. As also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body, therefore just as Christ is, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. We're obviously going to dive deeper into these passages as we continue on. But I just want to highlight this, that God is showing that man was not created superior or greater in that sense, but he has given these specific roles that he has desired men and women to operate in. And in doing so, is going to be the greatest way that you and I can glorify Christ. And God's name can be exalted in a greater way. And for us to continue to be able to walk with less and less confusion in the midst of all of the confusion that's happening all around us in our culture here today. It goes back to these things. Remember last week I said, God said, go be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. 
And that's the number one thing that Satan is attacking. This is why his number one attack is against the home. Because this is God's created order. And so he's doing everything that he can to keep people from being fruitful. And multiplying. And being able to continue to fill the earth. So men are to lead. Provide. Men are to protect. We believe that. Number two in your handout. Remember, as I said before, we're going to look at, briefly, obviously, God's design and purpose from the beginning. Now we want to look into, in our second point, always, what are we dealing with today? What's happening around us and where did it come from? So that we can know to then, thirdly, how are we going to respond to these things? Number two, passivity. In your handout. Genesis chapter 3. Let's look at that here. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. I told you last week we'd be diving deeper into this and pulling out more things out of this passage because there's so many things here. Right at the very get-go. We know Satan had come to, to, to Eve here and was talking with her and having a conversation with her and asking her the question, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God really say that? And she goes on to say, and we'll maybe touch on this a little bit more in a couple of weeks, you already see some <laughs> deception setting in here. She didn't fully say what God had said. It's interesting, the command had been given to Adam, wasn't it? The command had been given to Adam in the first place. She said, you shall not eat of it or touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, she also gave to her husband, Help me out. What does it say next? With her. Right? A lot of times we think, oh, Adam was off tending the garden, keeping the garden as he was called to do. But that's not what Scripture says, does it? Adam was watching the whole thing take place. And what was he doing? Help me out, church. Nothing. Nothing. My friends... That is what's happening all across our world today and even oftentimes in the church. I'm not here to beat men up today. I'm, I'm hoping that we wake up today. I'm hoping that we wake up today and take on the God-given responsibilities and roles because brothers in Christ, we're going to answer to God. Every single one of us is going to stand before God and give an account for how we led our wives and how we led our families. And those who are teachers and leaders within the church, we're going to be held accountable for how we led the church. He's doing nothing. It's all happening right before his eyes. Notice that passage in 1 Timothy doesn't say that Adam was deceived. It highlights Eve was deceived. Adam knew the command God had given, but who knows what was going through his mind. Maybe as man, is this really worth it? Do I really want to deal with the effects if she has her mind so made up that this is really going to be good for us? Do I really want to deal with the effects of that? Who knows? I'm, I'm totally reading between the lines here right now. But who knows what caused Adam to, to think in his mind and to, and to do nothing? about what was taking place here. But he wasn't fulfilling the roles that he had been given. He was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves, which is, I think, such a quick connection to the reality of, of, of our own self-righteousness. 
It's man's default. Recognize, oh, we're naked. That's a problem here now because shame had filled their hearts. What are we going to do about it? We can fix this. We can take care of this. And so they sewed fig leaves together, but we know that God was not satisfied with their fig leaves because by the end of this chapter, he had killed animals and he had taken the skin off of them and he put together clothing for them. I think that's such a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's what so many people are trying to do today. I can fix this. I can make myself better. And I just want to tell you here this morning, if that's you, stop it. Give up. You cannot make yourself better. In fact, by trying to, you're just going to make things worse for yourself. Because it's, it's just more sin. It's called self-righteousness. You throw yourself at the mercy of God and you allow Him now to clothe you with His righteousness and allow His blood to cover your sins. That's the only thing that's going to wash them away. It's the only thing that's going to cover them. So this is what's happening here. They go off and they hide themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And I think this is man's, in their fallen state, this is man's natural tendency. It's when God comes on the scene, we run from God. Okay? Romans confirms this for us. Romans chapter 3 tells us no one seeks after God. There's no one that is out there left to themselves, looking and trying to find God. It is God who pursues man and goes after them and calls them to himself. What did they do naturally? They hide from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to, who does he call to? You can look, if you want to cheat, you can cheat. He calls to the man, doesn't he? Adam. Where are you? You'll notice who God, in this context of a man and a woman in marriage, in this context here, who God say, is going to hold accountable for what just took place. Here we see it. This is the accountability that is coming our way. And this is because God is holding him responsible as the head of the home and his church. Several years ago, and I do have it here today. Several years ago, my dad wrote a track. This was back in the 80s. You guys, anybody ever remember these? These are called tracks. <laughs> it was called the Jezebel Spirit. And it was addressing what they were seeing a lot even back in the 80s in relation to this Jezebel spirit. Revelation chapter 2 even talks, Jesus addresses one of the churches there in speaking to Jezebel and this spirit that has continued on. I want us to get a, a glimpse here of where this is coming from. But what this is is an effect of the fall in relation to women, and we'll look at that here in a couple of weeks when we talk about God's design for women. But I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 16 because I think something else can be just as true of men. And I've heard other preachers reference this, and I think they're on to something with this. If you turn to 1 Kings in your Bibles, chapter 16. A king arises by the name of Ahab. What I'm going to submit to you today is if, if there is such a thing of the, as of the spirit of Jezebel that is in relation to the fall upon women, even today, is it possible that there is something in relation to the spirit of Ahab that would be present for men today? Verse 29 of 1 Kings chapter 16. In the, 13, in the 38th year of Asaph, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice here, more than all who were before him. 
And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took his wife Jezebel. This is where Jezebel first comes on the scene. The daughter of Ethbal, Ethbaal. Ethbaal literally means with Baal. Of the Sidonians, not of the Israelites, which belongs to Sidon. Oh, I skipped ahead. And he went and served Baal. There's a king of Israel who takes upon his wife somebody he had no business taking upon himself. And he begins to go worship these idols that Jezebel and her nation and people and father were worshiping. Served Baal and worshipped him. This is why it's so important. Young people, listen to me. And older people as well. Uh, take this seriously. When you read in scripture, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Take that seriously. Same thing happened with Solomon as he began to take on all of these other wives from all these other nations. He began to worship and serve their gods and his heart was led astray from, from God. Serious danger. He went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord the God of Israel to anger than all of the kings of Israel who were before him. That's pretty serious. And he continues on from there. But I want us to look at 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25. There's so much that can be said about these passages, but I want to be sensitive here and get to the main things. This is coming right off of Jezebel taking matters into her own hands, coming up with a concoction of a plan within her mind to actually murder somebody and coming directly off of that verse 25 it says but there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel his wife stirred him up verse 25 but there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel his wife stirred him up allowed, gave room for this to happen. I believe one of the reasons why, we'll, again, we'll hit on this in a couple of weeks, but one of the, one of the curses, one of the, one of the realities as a result of the fall that came upon woman back in Genesis chapter 3 was that the woman's desire was going to be for the man. That's how it reads. It's literally talking about not necessarily their wanting their husband that kind of a desire but it literally means wanting his job wanting his position but one of the reasons why that happens so often and even happens here today is because for many women they're saying someone has to lead and many men are not taking on their God-given roles and responsibility and leading godly leading in a godly manner and so really it's opening the door and giving allowance for that to happen if there is a Jezebel spirit that is not just in the world around us today but in a greater way has invaded churches around us then the spirit of Ahab has invaded as well if the spirit of Jezebel is influencing women, then the spirit of Ahab is affecting men. Genesis chapter, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. This is when it's referenced here in Revelation. One of the churches that was being addressed. Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. This is a church of Thyatira. Verse 20 says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. 
He speaks on some things that they were doing well first, and then he addresses this. Because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. But notice the responsibility that was given to the, to the leadership of the church. Every single one of these seven churches it begins with to the angel or to the leader of the church in these areas. It could just as well be, be translated to the pastor of these churches. I want to talk to you about what's happening within your church. What he's addressing with them, and not necessarily, he's already, he talks in this passage about how he's addressed these things with Jezebel and told her, you can repent, bring, you can come to repentance. But as he's writing this down, he said, I've, I've addressed these things with her, I've told her to repent, she's not repenting. But he says, the problem is you're allowing it to happen. You're allowing her to have this kind of reign and to be able to, to seduce and wreak all kinds of havoc among you. What's that showing once again? That's showing this, this God-given responsibility that has been put on, in this case, upon the leadership and saying, why are you allowing this to happen? Why aren't you dealing with these things? Similar to lead to the things that were happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where, where the... Where the where Paul is addressing the leadership of that church when there was sexual immorality that was going on. And he's like, why are you proud about these things? Why are you not dealing with these issues? You've got to take these things seriously. There's things you can't allow to happen. Because a little leaven is going to leaven the whole lump. Bad apple is going to, going to just spread around to everybody else. You've got to take these things seriously. And there's things you just... That, are, that you can't allow to go on. You have to deal with them. You have to address them. But notice, once again, it's, the responsibility is falling upon men here. Why are you allowing it to happen? And again, the culture has influenced the church. Most of the sitcoms that are out there in our day and age here today, if not all of them, who is representing the men? A dumb guy, right? Just this dumb guy, run-of-the-mill, that's evading responsibility. It's just kind of like, this is how it's supposed to be. Right? Am I wrong here? Yeah. It's how our culture is representing man's role. Just be the dumb idiot that doesn't have a clue of what's going on. Evading responsibility while the woman does everything but is also calling the shots on everything too. Is that not what's happening? In our culture around us? And sadly, you listen to conversations even among Christian men and you don't hear much difference. It's like there's this low expectation of what we are to be about. And it often means we've bought into this lie that we're to sit back, do nothing, and let everything just happen. It's time for us to say enough is enough. Men, can I call us out? Because I'm preaching to myself here this morning. We need to repent as men and be the men that you and I have been called to be. Number three in your handout. Love boldly. How to res respond to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 13 highlights. Says this. Watch. Stand fast in the face, faith. Faith. Be brave. That's what my new King James says. You go in to look at the NASB or the, actually back to the original word for that is act like men. Act like men. Be strong. Now notice what it says next. Let all that you do be done with love. Notice this becomes the motivating factor. What needs to be at the heart of it all as we all of these things that we've been talking about, that we've been called to as men, 
Love has to be at the heart of it. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us of that. In that context there, Jesus is talking about spiritual gifts, right? He's saying, listen, you can be loud, you can be obnoxious, you can do all of these things. If love is not at the heart of it, that's all it's going to be. It's going to be loud and obnoxious, and it's not going to be in the will of God. It's not going to accomplish God's per perfect purposes towards these things. I could have all of these things, many different gifts, speaking of spiritual gifts, but if I don't have love at the heart of it all, I'm just a noisy symbol. Let all that you do be done in love. Ephesians chapter 5, to come full circle down to that, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 24 through 28. How has Christ called men in the context of their marriages that's to spill over to every other area of their lives. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. When are men to stop loving their wives? When Christ stops loving his church, that's when you get to throw that one out the window. It's not going to happen. God is committed to his church. He's not leaving his church behind. He is loving them all the way to the point when he returns and he sees that bride that's been prepared to meet him. He loves his church. And what does that look like? Lay their lives down. Just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. Love boldly. Fight for her, fight for your children, fight for your home. They don't allow all of the stuff that's happening in our culture today to invade our homes and invade our churches. He's going to lay their lives down for that. No longer living for themselves or living for the kingdom of self. It's living for the glory of God. And how do we do that? We lay our lives down for one another. It's not about me anymore. It's not about what I want. It's about what he wants. The King of kings and the Lord of lords wants. I am I'm his vessel. This is a role that he's placed upon me as a man that he wants me to fulfill. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife even loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. That's selfless living. That's what it means to love boldly. Men are to protect, to lay their lives down with the goal of their wives looking more like Jesus when it's all said and done. Our wives, hopefully at the end of the day, will look more like Jesus because they were married to us. It's quite the responsibility, isn't it? Men, it's God's design that you and I lead our family spiritually. Do you know that? It's God's design that it's you and I. Obviously, our wives play a significant role in that entire process. But once again, the responsibility lands in our lap. And it's a good, okay question that we ask ourselves. How are we leading our families right now in the Word of God? How are we leading our families right now in worship? How are we leading our families? How are we teaching our family the things of God? It doesn't even matter if our wives may be better at it than us. You know that? It doesn't matter. That doesn't come into account. We're still called to lead. Our greatest model that we could ever pattern our lives after is Jesus Christ. This obviously goes for men and women. But in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, I have it in your notes there, speaks to us about how Jesus Christ laid aside all of the glories of heaven and came to this earth. Everything that was rightfully His, He set aside and He came down 
to this earth and he humbled himself and became obedient even to the death and the cross, became a man, humbling himself. He's our greatest model of what this should look like. He did not come to serve, but to be served. He operated in meekness. One of the greatest definitions I ever heard of meekness is power under control. He told people the truth and walked in compassion. He was stirred to righteous anger when that which was most important to his Father in heaven was violated. He took that seriously. It irked him to the point where he did something about it. He humbled himself and laying aside the glories of heaven, as I've already said, and came to this earth. So we need to lead this way. Men, we need to teach our children what it means to be a man. Let me say the same thing that I have said at father-son retreats before. Our sons and our daughters are watching. If you and I look bored during worship, what do you think your kids think in relation to the things of God? They'll think this is nothing to get excited about. However, if your kids and my kids get a glimpse of you in love with Jesus, it will have a lasting impact in their lives. We're speaking volumes to our kids and the next generation that is watching how we respond to the things of God. I'm telling you, enough with the I'm Scandinavian, I don't tend to get too excited about things. <laughs> Throw it out, it's no good. It doesn't even make sense. True men are men of prayer. Jesus spent much time in prayer. True men share the gospel. True men talk about Jesus more than sports, cars, hunting, or fill in the blank. True men stand on the front lines in the battle for truth. In their churches, in their homes, but also in their culture. True men lay their lives down for their families, standing against the culture's lies, no matter how unpopular that might make them. And maybe even in your own home. A number of years ago, I was at the Elk River High School, See You at the Pole. Everybody knows what See You at the Pole is. One day, they've been doing it for years. Students gather around a pole, flagpoles, and they just pray for their their community, they pray for one another, pray for their teachers, pray for their communities, pray for their state, pray for their country, pray um, for, their, for, their, for their world. Um, and um, it's a good thing. <laughs> it's a very good thing. Um, I can remember a few years ago when I was pastoring at Alliance, or I was a youth pastor at Alliance Community Church and also the school chaplain at the Christian school that was in that building. We would go across the street to pray with, actually this would have been after that school closed. There was about 45 people that were gathered around this flagpole. I praise God for that. There was 43 of them were high school girls. There's two of them that were boys. Don't get me wrong, I praise God that 43 young ladies were out there, and I also praise God that there were two boys out there. One of them sitting here right now, Chris. And your cousin, Nate, was the other one that was out there. God so gripped my heart that morning. And it stuck with me to this day. Where are the men? Where's this next generation of men that are going to rise and take on their God-given responsibilities? Because it starts back then. And it just continues like a snowball to continue to accumulate. Men, let's break the snowball into pieces today.
They're not showing up. Why? Why, we might ask. So there could be any amount of reasons, and this was just one small thing, and I'm sure there was legitimate excuses along with illegitimate excuses that were there. But maybe in their minds they were thinking, it's not really my thing. Other things are kind of my thing. Or maybe they were thinking, I need my, I need my sleep. Maybe they were thinking, I forgot it was going on. Like, that's legitimate, I suppose. Someone else that is better at it will do it. Someone else. Friends, that's the biggest enemy. That is just going to continue to allow that small snowball to turn into a snowman. <laughs> Whenever you and I think the someone else thought... Know that that's the Ahab way of doing things. That's the spirit of Ahab that's taking charge. It has to change. And God, I believe, is going to see that it does. And I get excited about that. We're committed to seeing it happen here. This past VBS, I'm so thankful five young men from our church led the way in teaching the gospel to children and it had an incredible impact. Don't think for a second that children's ministry is only for women. <laughs> right? Don't think for a second that children's ministry is only for women. Our kids need to teach them. Our men need to teach them as well. Do you know even right now, one of our elders and his wife are in kids' ministry leading and doing the teaching in there. That's how important we think this is here at Church of Hope. Third Sunday of every month, our elders and their wives go and teach in children's ministry. And we need to see that continue to increase. I think that's a great way to do it. Would you agree, Julie? Great way to do it. Go in there as husband and wife and do it as a team. Great way to do it. So men... And, I, and I, I can already say, I, I get excited because I already see it happening. This is not a doom and gloom message at all. Because I get excited. Because God is doing this in the hearts and lives of many men here within our church. But if you're on the sidelines here this morning, get off the sidelines. Start taking on your God-given responsibility. And watch what God will do in and through your life for His glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for what you're desiring to do in and through us, Lord. Help us to respond now to your word. Help us to get rid of the someone else mentality. And begin to take on what you have called us to. To lead, provide, protect to pray, to be men of your word. To be men who make disciples. God, may we respond and may you be glorified through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. If you'd like prayer for anything here today, we'd love to pray with you and for you. If you have any questions about anything that we've talked about here today, we'd love to talk with you about that.